Welcome to another episode of Left Coast Sports with John Schaefer, presented by Driveway Auction. At Driveway Auction, they are transforming the way individuals sell their cars. They believe the process of selling your car should be easy, intuitive, informative, and a good experience. They believe tomorrow's generation should never experience the pain of knowing you should have gotten more for your car. And they believe that both car dealers and consumers can win together. Driveway auction, when buyers compete, you win. We're just days away from Selection Sunday, and today we'll speak with one of the most successful bracketologists in the business, Lucas Harkins of Heat Check College Basketball. In fact, entering the season, Lucas is ranked as the second most accurate bracketologist at BracketMatrix.com. San Diego State is one of four Mountain West teams with a realistic shot right now to reach the NCAA tournament as an at-large selection, so we'll discuss Lucas's projections for the Aztecs and the rest of the league as well. Before we get started with today's episode, this reminder, Your View is now the local channel for San Diego Loyal Soccer. Your View will be televising and live streaming 17 live San Diego Loyal Soccer matches this season, starting with the March 12th home opener. You can watch the games on Channel 4, Cox, and Spectrum, and live stream at yourview.com. Also, please give us an auto-download on your podcast platform so you get future episodes automatically. Left Coast Sports is on most podcast platforms, including Apple Podcasts, the free iHeartRadio app, YouTube, Spotify, and others. You can leave a review as well. And as you listen to this podcast, if you wouldn't mind switching over to Twitter and following me there, at John Schaefer, that is J-O-N-S-C-H-A-E-F-F-E-R, at John Schaefer. Selection Sunday is just days away. How does San Diego State's resume stack up? Here's my conversation with bracketologist Lucas Harkins. All right, so Lucas, you've been higher on San Diego State than a lot of bracketologists. What is it that you saw all along in this team that maybe others didn't? I think the biggest thing is just not having any bad losses um, pretty much across the board. Having a clean resume is a really good thing. Um, By clean resume, I mean no losses outside of quadrant one. Um, San Diego State maybe not have the same level of high quality wins that other teams do, um, but four and seven in quad one matches up pretty well with the rest of the bubble. No bad losses, top thirty never metric. Um, yeah, I don't. I think I'm a little higher on other bracketolo- than other bracketologists, but I think that's partially due to some maybe still being a little bit behind um, from the last three weeks uh, with seven wins in the last eight games. I think um, that kind of it, recent recent play doesn't really have an impact on where you get seated, but it's clear that they performed better and improved their resume over the last three weeks. As it stands right now, when you look at San Diego State's resume and you compare it to the other teams in the Mountain West that have had great years, Boise State, Colorado State, Wyoming, all at-large candidates, where would you put San Diego State among that group of four? I think there was a flip in this um, on Monday night. Um, I had San Diego State and Wyoming. I had Wyoming as my last nine. San Diego State as my top ten. And they just switched, uh, switched on Monday. So I have Colorado State and Boise State both in the seven line. And then San Diego State is my nine and Wyoming on the 10. Could you see a scenario where the teams in the Mountain West still flip-flop with each other and San Diego State, for example, is seated as high as Colorado State or Boise State? Brian? Yeah, I think from where they stand right now, I think Wyoming is going to have the hardest time to switch with anybody. Um, their quality metrics, so that's Ken Palm, BPI, and Sagarin, are just really behind the rest of the league, um, or at least the rest of the top four. Um, so I'd have a hard time believing they could swap with any of the other three, I think, at this point. Um, San Diego State, I think, could potentially get up to reach Colorado State and Boise State if they play well and knock off, obviously, one or two of those in the Mountain West Tournament. But I think those two teams, meaning the Rams and and the Broncos, are definitely in the best shape um, from a seeding standpoint right now. For instance, San Diego State's six and seven and quads one and two, which is a relatively good mark, but not awesome. Colorado State, 11 and three, Boise State, 11 and five. 
Um, they just have higher, they just have a bigger quantity of, of wins. So when you look at seeding and what's still to play for from San Diego State's perspective, they've got these final two regular season games. Um, they could obviously win a Mountain West tournament or come short of that. How high could they play themselves up on a seed line based on their final handful of games here? I think it depends a bit on the matchup. Um, I think if they draw those Colorado, one of the, the top three, if they draw two of those um, and they win both those, the Mountain West tournament, I think I could see them getting up to a six or a seven. I think that's pretty much where they go. I think right now I have a pretty strict cutoff after the five seeds. Um, I think from, I think Houston is my top six. Um, and from that point forward, there's a pretty big drop to the rest of those teams. So I think I could see San Diego state get up onto the six or seven line, um, which I think obviously everyone would prefer as an Aztecs fan to avoid that eight, nine matchup. Um, so I think they could get there. Uh, I think if they win their last two regular season games, they'll probably enter the mountain West tournament sitting on an eight line, um, at least for me. What do they need to do to avoid the first four? Really, I think if they just win their last two, they should get they should be fine. Um, I think if you win at home against Fresno State and win at Nevada, no matter what happens in the Mountain West tournament, I think they should avoid Dayton. Now, I, I think I'm a, I am a high, a bit higher on San Diego State than other bracketologists seem to be, but I think that that would be hard to leave out a team that at, at if that is the case, if they win their last two, at most would have one bad loss if they lose in the first round of the Mountain West. Um, and probably still have top 30 metrics. I, I think it'd be hard to see that team fall to, to an 11 or 12. It's interesting you mentioned top 30 metrics because I feel like from the selection committee's perspective, metrics obviously play a role. Performance, eye test, I mean, these are human beings. It's not solely based on the computer. In your opinion, do the metrics play more of a role than anything else or just are one of the things considered by the committee once they get into that room? You know, I think, that especially this year, I think the committee is leaning towards trying to eliminate as much as the eye test as they can and really stick to the numbers. Um, whether or not we agree with that as bracketologists is out of our control. Um, but I think that there's there's something to be said for there's there are correlations between metrics and seedings. Um, and there are six team sheet metrics on there. So the, the net uh, is obviously on team sheets, KPI and strength of record or resume metrics, and then BPI, Ken Palm and Stagger and our quality metrics. Um, where you rank in all those, I think, plays a factor, particularly, I think, the resume metrics um, for selection, which I think right now San Diego State's in pretty good shape for selection, um, and the quality metrics more for seeding, which they're in better shape for. Um, so I think if they do, in fact, make the field, they'll be seeded relatively highly because of those quality metrics. Okay, so there's a scenario. It's interesting you say that. I know you wrote about it. You had their metrics in you know the low 30s, and there really hasn't been a team left out of the field that's in the low 30s in, in recent years. If they were to finish in the low 30s or upper 20s, that would align with somewhere in that seven, eight, nine realm? Yeah, I think generally speaking, that's where those metrics would say they were. And then they'd probably get seated slightly lower due to a lack of those quality wins, mm -hmm. uh, being only four and seven in quad one, one and three in those quad one A, the elite wins. Mm -hmm. um, so I think they'll probably get a little bit of a downtick compared to those other teams sitting in that seven, eight range. Um, you compare them to like right now, San Diego State's 25th and average across the three quality metrics, Ohio State's 23rd and Ohio State is just more of those quality wins. So you'll see them um, metrics standing would put them along the same seed line, but diving a little bit more into those quadrant records, you'd see San Diego State on the lower end of those kind of teams. In your opinion, what has allowed the Mountain West to have a year like this? We've seen San Diego State for the last 20 years, by and large, get into the NCAA tournament, but these other programs really haven't had sustained success. I mean, Boise State. Um, you know, winning the first regular season title this week in the Mountain West. Wyoming hasn't been in the NCAA tournament in nearly a decade. Colorado State hasn't been there in a while either. What is it about the league this year that has put themselves in a position to get three, four teams in? 
you know, I think on two, there's two separate distinctive regions of these top four. Um, Colorado State and Wyoming are both have made it clear they're awesome offensively this year, um, especially David Roddy at the Rams. They've had a really great offensive mm-hmm. season. Um, they're going to beat a lot of teams because their offense is good. Um, and then Boise State and San Diego State, especially the Aztecs, are just so good defensively that kind of no matter who you match up with, those four teams have an advantage on one side of the ball um, every night out. And I think that those four really put them put themselves in a good place um, after non-conference. I think Fresno State and Utah State also had pretty good non-conferences to the point that they can boost those resumes um, for the upper four. I know Nevada has been disappointing, but I think the rest of the league has had um, a pretty good showing that has allowed the Boise, Colorado, Wyoming, and San Diego um, to not really have to take bad losses per se in conference play. They're, they're mostly pretty quad two, quad three kind of games. Um, which boosts your strength of schedule, boosts kind of everything across the board to have, a, have a, an all-around good conference and a lot of really good teams at the top. You mentioned San Diego State's defense. It's elite. Some metrics, I think, adjusted defense. San Diego State remains number one in the nation. So what kind of problem could they be in the NCAA tournament for an opponent? When you talk about this elite defense, they've gotten a lot better on offense over this month. Uh, they're now an above average adjusted offense in Ken Palm as well. Matt Bradley's a terrific scorer, obviously. What type of problems could they potentially pose? Well, I think the thing is pretty much any time San Diego State shows up with any semblance of offense, it wins, um, has really been the case this season. And I think when you look at a team that has the number one offense, number one defense in the country, a combination in March of having an elite defense and one go-to bucket getter, hmm. I think is almost better than a team that has an elite defense and a little bit like just same kind of metric average on offense, but a little more balanced nobody's going to be able to really slow down Matt Bradley. He's going to give you production every single night on offense. Um, and if he's able to take a team and have maybe a point per possession, they're probably going to beat their opposition just because they're so good defensively. How much of a factor, we always talk about quad one and what's your quad one record and does a bubble team have enough quad one wins? I don't think we talk as much, although it is discussed about bad losses. And you look at San Diego State, they haven't suffered one literally all year. I mean, you could argue the loss in Logan against Utah State because they lost by 17 or 18 wasn't ideal, but Utah State on the road is still a quad one opportunity for San Diego State. Everything else, you've seen the resume, obviously, in the team sheet, BYU on the road, Michigan, SC on a neutral floor. It's got to be rare for a team that's quote-unquote on the bubble to not suffer one bad loss over the entirety of the, of the season, wouldn't it be? Yeah, it is. Um, I looked at this a couple weeks ago because I was looking at clean resumes for teams that didn't have a loss outside quad one. Mm-hmm. And then North Carolina drops a quad four game. Um, so, right. so, I, so I ended up scrapping that article together. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it's true. I mean, the teams that have had qual- have truly clean resumes, not a loss in quad two, three or four. Those teams almost always make the tournament, um, particularly because they've played enough of those games. It's, there aren't there aren't that many teams that are sitting at. 20 and 0 in quad four that didn't lose that didn't lose a game early in the season to a really good opponent. That's just where they are. And I, and I think that that San Diego state's played a tough enough schedule um, in the national, in the, in the country this year, they're ranked 60, 69th in strength of schedule. Nice. Um, 87th in non-conference schedule. So I, I think that they've, they've played enough games against quality opposition. They've proven that they're, they've won some big ones. St. Mary's just keeps getting better. And that win just ages like tremendously well. So it was the win over Colorado state. Um, that I think that they're having a, having an ability to be clean and just say, Hey, we're four and seven in quad one, which is just better than some mobile teams are like North Carolina is one and seven, for instance, um, Indiana is six and 10 in quads one and two hmm. San Diego state's not much better than that, but they don't have a loss in quad two, three or four. 
Um, so I think it's just a feather in your cap to say, if you're comparing resumes, we played, we played everybody outside of quad one and we beat all of them. We've proven that we were probably going to win a first round game. We'll see what happens after that. But if you match us up with a, if, with a 10 seat or lower, San Diego state's probably going to win. So at this point, and again, there's still some time here in the regular season and conference tournaments. Would you be surprised if the Mountain West didn't get four teams into the tournament? I think so. Um, I think I'd be very surprised that they didn't get three. Um, I'm a little bit more skeptical on Wyoming than I was a couple of weeks ago. I think part of that is just they've lost three of their last five. They don't have an easy finish. I think a lot of people overlook that the Mountain West is just four teams, and that's not really true. Um, at UNLV is a tough game. Fresno State at home is a tough game. Um, and dropping one of those, I think, would put them in a, in a pretty precarious spot going into the Mountain West tournament because their quality metrics just aren't really there. I don't really get it. I don't know why. The PPI hates Mountain West. They have Wyoming 104th, and that'll hurt them on Sunday if they're on, if they're on the fringe. Do you see the Mountain West tournament as completely wide open? You mentioned the success of some of these teams below the top four, Fresno State, Utah State, Nevada. I'm missing someone in there. UNLV. I mean, UNLV on their home floor. I mean, do you see it as wide open as it can possibly be? I mean, I think conference tournaments are always a, a crapshoot, really. I mean, especially in, in conferences that don't have, like, the like the top 10 team in the country um, like that. But I, I look at San Diego State as probably the biggest dark horse, I guess, that, to, win the, to win the conference tournament because they don't have a bad loss. And they've proven that they're going to beat those teams. Um, like Colorado state has a quad three loss. Boise state has a quad four loss. Those are just games that we've seen those teams lose and get upset this season. We haven't really seen San Diego state get upset. They're probably the most consistently good team in the conference. Um, they're going to show up every night. They're not going to lay an egg, or at least they haven't to this point. Um, so I feel like they're a pretty confident bet to make a deep run in the mountain West tournament, but you're definitely right. I like the way UNLV plays on their home floor and they've played well recently. Um, and I still think Utah State's kind of a dangerous team. If they get going on the right time, Justin Bean's kind of one of those guys um, that he can dominate a game on both ends and maybe pull off a couple of games. How'd you get into this bracketology? I wish I had a good answer. Um, I think it was, I, I got into it in high school, uh, and then I started publishing it when I was in college. I think just as something to do that wasn't studying. Uh, <laughs> I could look at a computer screen. I, it looks like you're doing homework. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, so I think that there's some, I just, I love college hoops, um, growing up a huge fan of the sport. Uh, and I always loved March Madness is the, is the best time of year, right? It, no question about it. And then, you know, there's so many people, obviously, I mean, there's a lot of people that have gotten involved in this space. We know Joe Lenardi's done it for the better part of 30 years. Jerry Palm, because of the relationship with CBS, obviously gets a lot of recognition. Uh, is it hard to get noticed in this space or is there such an influx and in interest around the nation when it comes to college basketball that fans of all programs that are on the bubble or have a chance to get in ultimately find your work? Yeah. You know, I think there's two ways about it. I think one, I got lucky. Um, I think actually just like the bracket matrix does an extremely good job of giving um, attention to people that do it well. And I think that there is certainly a degree of luck that goes into how good you are on a given mm-hmm. year. Um, every bracketologist worth their marbles should get 65 of 68 teams every year. You should really only miss a couple um, if that, uh, it's really about seating and seating is just kind of subjective a lot of years. So if you get it right, you get it right. Um, and I'm blessed to be ranked in the top three on the bracket matrix. And that definitely does give, I think when you go to the, people have learned about the bracket matrix. And if you go to the rankings, you'll see I'm near the top and you get the clicks for it. Um, and I think the other part is putting in the work. Um, I think there's stuff like uh, just putting out a bracket on selection Sunday. There's a lot of those that go in the bracket project. 
um, or if you just put out a bracket on selection Sunday, you can rank high. Um, there's something we said for doing it the whole year, um, starting it in, in January and going from there um, and then providing supplemental content with it. So I do a bubble watch every week um, and that'll update the rest of the year and just kind of being able to put some words behind why you have teams ranked where and really explain yourself, I think gives some, at least I hope, give some credibility to what I put out. Mm -hmm. And if the season ended right now and it doesn't, and obviously there'll be twists and turns and there will be a bid stealer in all likelihood, if not multiple, if it ended right now, who's, who is that team sitting right now as that last team in and who would be sitting as that first team out according to your publication, your bracket. The big 10 is not going to be a huge fan of this answer or it's a huge fan of this answer. I have Michigan as my last team in Mm. and Indiana as my first team out. So they, they swapped after last night when Michigan picked up a big win against Michigan State. Yep. Um, and then I have Loyola, Chicago, and BYU kind of sitting as those next teams out after Indiana. It's interesting. Before I let you go, I want to mention that, actually, because San Diego State has played Michigan and BYU this year, which is somewhat unique. Uh, they played in Ann Arbor and in Provo, also somewhat unique. And the Aztecs lost those games. If San Diego State were to slip up down the stretch, let's say lose two of their last three, right? A quarterfinal game and potentially in Reno against Nevada, it's possible, or Fresno State at home. It's a good program with Orlando Robinson. How much of a factor is head-to-head, in your opinion, for the selection committee? So I think what at least what we learned at the bracket preview with the top 16 a few weeks ago, I think that they really don't give head-to-head too much credence unless they're right next to each other on the S-curve. So if they're Mm -hmm. like the second 11 and the third 11 um, or the last 10 and the first 11, um, then they'll probably do a switch in favor of head-to-head results. Um, it's what they did with Illinois and Wisconsin during the bracket preview. Um, and they also mentioned it with Kansas's Kentucky that they left Kansas ahead because it was two spots ahead of Kentucky on the S curve. And if they're right next to each other, Kentucky blowing out Kansas and Allen Fieldhouse would have had a bigger impact than it did. So I think in the broad scream of bracketology, probably not a big deal to look at head to head. If they're right next to each other, pretty significant. All right, for our listeners that want more information, are curious about this, we've got a week or so to go until Selection Sunday. How do they find more of your work? You guys can find me on Twitter at Hardwired Sports. And I post bracketology, bubble watch, college basketball content everywhere at heatcheckcbb.com. Lucas, appreciate your time. Thank you for doing it. And uh, we look forward to catching up with you uh, once we get into the tournament. Thanks for having me on. appreciate it. If you'd like to follow Lucas on Twitter, he's at Hardwired Sports. Again, that's Hardwired Sports on Twitter. For his daily bracket updates, visit at HeatCheckCBB. That's at HeatCheckCBB. If you haven't already, please subscribe and auto-download future episodes on whichever podcast platform you're listening to this podcast on right now. And please leave a review as well. And again, you can follow me on Twitter at John Schaefer. That is J-O-N-S-C-H-A-E-F-F-E-R at John Schaefer. For previous episodes or more information about Left Coast Sports, you can visit yourview.com. That's Y-U-R-V-I-E-W.com. Again, we'd like to thank today's sponsor, Driveway Auction. At Driveway Auction, they are transforming the way individuals sell their cars. They believe the process of selling your car should be easy, intuitive, informative, and a good experience. They believe tomorrow's generation should never experience the pain of knowing you should have gotten more for your car. And they believe that both car dealers and consumers can win together. Driveway auction, when buyers compete, you win. We thank you again for listening, and we'll catch up again next time right here on Left Coast Sports with John Schaefer.